Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture this morning comes to us from Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to turn in your own Bible or in the Pew Bible beside you. The page number is 17 and 18 in the New Testament. Hear now God's word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God, indeed. Let us pray. God, we come to the mountaintop to be covered in your presence. We are comforted by your holiness and your glow. We are comforted by the hope, the possibility, the promise of the mountaintop. When you're so close, so accessible, where there is no doubt of your glory. The mountaintop reminds us why we worship you. We witness your bright power and your plan for all the nations of the earth. And as we prepare to receive your word, God, bring us to the mountaintop. Bring us to the mountaintop so that we may be inspired to do your work in the valley below. Amen. Good morning. Once again, I'm Pastor Corey, and happy Transfiguration Sunday. (laughs) I'm sure the Transfiguration Fairy visited everyone this morning. I mean, as if Transfiguration Fairy does, uh, or maybe not, but I'm thinking about making this a thing, okay? Transfiguration is a bit niche. A lot of us mainliners recognize it. We celebrate it as the final Sunday before we transition into Lent. And so we wake up Transfiguration Sunday, and we set out some cotton candy for the clouds, and maybe three different kinds of, of sweets or pastries, all right? For Moses, it's a honey bun like manna, a little dewy bread, okay? Yeah, Doris liked that one, okay? Elijah, some kind of cake, you know? Elijah's got a cake. And then Jesus, it can be any loaf of sweet bread because Jesus is the bread of life, so we have that. I mean, we should do this because in, in my house, at least, we love any opportunity to disrupt our routine and just spice things up. I mean, sometimes we decide on a whim that it's one of our random toys' birthdays, 
and we go to the store and buy a cake, and then we bring it home, we sing happy birthday to the toy, and then we get to eat the cake, of course, right? And we can't keep track, so sometimes it's a different birthday every year for the same toy, but we love it. I highly recommend this practice because it's so much fun. We do it because in our house, we need a disruption. We need something to interrupt our every day or else our lives just simply become that routine, that autopilot of the demands on our time. It reminds us that we're more than our day to day. And often our routines, they begin to reflect what we value and those actions that we do again and again, they dictate what we value and what we value reflects what we believe. So if you look at your day to day, What do we value? What do we believe? And we believe in the things society tells us to believe in. They aren't necessarily bad, but we value, or at least the rhythm of our lives values work and school and doctor's appointments and dental cleanings and laundry and our favorite television show and dinner and committee meetings and lots of other good things. And we can be honest, some less than good things as well. But what all this does is, again, it sets us on an autopilot, where we don't even really know why we're doing the things we're doing. And we might be thinking, well, just because I do certain things doesn't mean I believe in them or value them. And I'd be willing to engage that conversation because I think it's really helpful one. If what we do doesn't necessarily reflect what we believe, then what do we believe that our lives don't necessarily reflect? Okay, if what we do doesn't necessarily reflect what we believe, then what do we believe that our lives don't necessarily reflect? I think this is part of the transfiguration story. Jesus and the disciples in Matthew's gospel, they are on the go. They're feeding people, healing people, encountering skeptics and critics, and they're wrestling with what they believe about who Jesus is. They even argue with Jesus when he tells them certain things. You No, we can argue with Jesus. That's good news. Peter is relentless in engaging Jesus directly, telling Jesus essentially, stop talking about his death and resurrection because it's not happening on his watch, okay? Peter will not let it happen. And I love Peter so much because he's in the inner circle, but he's that guy who always pushes back in in a committee meeting and he annoys everyone else a lot. I hope nobody's like... Uh, He desperately wants to know what's going on, what's going to happen, and how he gets to be a part of it, how he gets to contribute. He is not easygoing. That is not in Peter's obituary. Not easygoing. He is hardworking. He is opinionated. He's self-concerned at times. But he's also willing to have a conversation. He's He's willing to allow his mind to be changed. He is an utter failure at moments. He's so earnest. He gets in trouble constantly. And despite his missteps and even his betrayal, his love for Jesus is so undeniable. And Jesus' faith in Peter is undeniable. He knows Peter's heart better than anyone. He makes him the rock of the church. He charges him to feed, love, tend the sheep. Peter's a worker of the gospel. He is on the ground doing the work, the hard work. He's eating, sleeping, traveling, fighting with the people in his circle, trying to create and organize this movement. And a lot of what he's doing, I would say we'd equate with endless paperwork. It's not always the good, fun stuff. 
But why is Peter doing all this? Why does he and the other disciples as well do the work when some days it can feel pointless? It can feel thankless. It can feel like we aren't going anywhere or even like it doesn't matter. And it's dangerous. I mean, Peter, his story ends with his martyrdom. He dies for the sake of the gospel. So what sustains him in this relentless and sometimes monotonous and honestly occasionally boring and other times really wonderful and awe-inspiring work day to day? What sustains him? What reminds him of the promises Jesus made to them while he was still with them? It's the mountaintop. It's the transcendent, transfigured experiences we encounter with God, these intimate spaces that we meet the divine in, that reveal to us that there's so much more to who we are and what we do than the valleys and plains of our lives sometimes want us to believe. Now, I'm not saying God is not in the valleys and God is not present in the plains or the mundane. God is. But there are mountaintop moments outside and even within those spaces that remind us of God's incomparable glory, that remind us of who we are and that we were created by a loving God to love and serve God. Now, there's nothing like the transfiguration anywhere else in Scripture. We have Moses go up the mountain, but it's not quite like this. And the word transfiguration is used here to describe what happens. And it's not outside, anywhere outside of scripture, at least not that I could find it. This is a very specific moment. And here in Matthew's gospel, we have a physical mountaintop. And sometimes we can equate mountaintops with a sense of, of going up, because they do. Uh, but an accomplishment or something positive or peppy or happy energy. Now, that's not this mountaintop. Because certainly there are moments of joy as they behold these three figures. But more than that, they are terrified. There is real fear on the mountaintop. There is hesitancy and confusion in this encounter and a, a lot of awe and wonder as well. Peter doesn't know what's happening or what to do. So he kind of panics and asks if he can create three temporary dwellings for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus because of Peter's background, his context, he's reminded of the festival of the tents that comes to mind. And so he scrambles and he wants to build these, these shelters. And he definitely doesn't want whatever is happening in the presence of Jesus and these two prophets to end. He wants to keep it going. But it doesn't last as long as any of us, I imagine, would like it to. It's often how these encounters happen, even for us. They, however, receive a very clear message in this encounter, a piece of practical advice to carry with them as they descend the mountain. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Take him seriously. They receive a word from God Almighty to follow and listen to the word made flesh. That is the advice that the God of all creation gives to these ordinary men. Of all the things God could tell them, God instructs them that what they need to do and who they need to trust is already with them. Listen to Jesus. You already have everything you need right in your midst. Listen to Jesus. As you descend this mountain and as you go forward in all the work that Jesus is calling you toward and all the work that's simply necessary to exist in the world, 
Listen to Jesus. That's it. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an encounter with the divine. It doesn't necessarily have to be on a literal mountaintop, although for some people it does happen there. I was speaking with someone recently, and journeying up the mountain is a really helpful analogy here because it's often when we displace ourselves, when we step away from our day-to-day distractions, that we can carve out space to encounter God. And when we do that, we sometimes actually do encounter God. When we pay attention to God's voice and God's presence, we have a better chance of hearing and feeling it rather than when we're just drowning and all of the demands and worries that call out to us. But again, the mountain is just one example of that divine encounter. Others of us may experience it in different places. We tend to listen better, though, when we are paying attention. Some of us, that might be on a mountain or just simply in nature. I know we're walking with God on Sundays at 1, if you want to come and be embraced by the trees, pay attention to God's voice. Some of us, it's in listening or playing music that we encounter the divine or attending a retreat, making space. Occasionally, it's when we hear someone else talk about their own encounter with the divine or we're studying scripture on our own or we participate and receive communion or maybe we witness a baptism. We have a conversation with a friend or in worship. We encounter that mountaintop and that experience with the divine in worship. Through service, we have the opportunity on Wednesday to pack those share the love bags and share with others the love of God. Experience in youth group or Sunday school. There are no limits to where we can have a transfigured encounter with the Lord. To metaphorically experience the mountaintop that disrupts us and reminds us of who Jesus is and why our lives should seek to listen to him. To listen to his teachings, to listen to his promises, to listen to his honesty. To listen to the words which they didn't want to just before the transfiguration in chapter here. Jesus tells them that the Son of Man must travel to Jerusalem in these coming weeks as we journey through Lent. We'll begin on Wednesday. Again, you're invited 12 or 7 to begin that journey. Jesus tells them that he has to journey towards Jerusalem and then he will undergo great suffering at the hands of the religious authorities. He will be killed and on the third day he'll be raised. And as I mentioned, Peter, of course, no, no, no. I will not let that happen. Stop talking about it. And then they, Peter, James, and John, are taken up the mountain by Jesus. And there they receive these instructions in such a profound and undeniable way that they will never forget them. They will cling to them. They will remember them as they go with us through this Lenten season. Even as they wish the journey might be different, even as they fail in their own faithfulness to Jesus, the mountaintop, This encounter reminds us that this is the journey love must take to reveal to us how much we are loved. And so when the valleys and plains feel hard and monotonous and like we're simply going through the motions, we cling to the mountaintop. We remember the mountaintop and we look forward to the mountaintop. We make space in our lives to go intentionally climb the mountain even. 
Because the mountain is a disruption in our everyday that reminds us we are not the work, we are not the school, we are not the trips to the grocery store, we're not the laundry that needs to be done. Our lives are meant for so much more that we can often not see on flat ground. Our lives are meant to look to the mountaintop, to lead others up the mountain when we can, to point to the mountain. We are meant to live lives that have been transfigured by our own encounter with Jesus and then to listen to Jesus as we descend and live our lives. So on this Transfiguration Sunday, I want you to remember your mountaintop moment and cling to its promise, cling to its power, because we will begin a journey through the valley as we make our way through Lent. And it will be important for us to cling to God's promises and presence as we reflect on our own brokenness and repentance. Sometimes Lent can make us feel as if there is this gulf between God and us, a barren land that is so painful to traverse. And yet the transfiguration that sits right here reminds us that the only instruction we need to close that space is to listen to the one who took the incredible journey from heaven to earth to remind us that there is no distance too far, no valley too low, and no mountain too high to separate us from the love of God. May this transfiguration be a disruption in your day-to-day and remind you that we are meant to scale mountains with the Lord. Let us pray. God of truth, a blessing you promised and a blessing you give. Through deserts and up mountains, we follow Jesus and there find you and ourselves as we were meant to be. We long to hold on to that vision, O God, to try to set up tents and stay as long as we can because it is there that we know we are truly home. But faith calls us, for it was in faith that Jesus lived life and accepted death. His faith in you was born of love and his love was born of freedom. In Jesus, the bright cloud of your grace is forever upon us. May we be willing to leave the mountaintop experiences of life and walk the plains of every day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.